welcome back to another edition of the IFF Podcast. Mark Treglio is here, hanging with me today is my co-pilot, Doug Stern. How you doing, Doug? I'm doing well. I feel like your trusty sidekick when you introduced me like that, but things are going well. At least you're taller than me, though, so it's not like, you know... You're not, a high, not a high bar. So not a high bar, my friend. Yeah, I'm five and a half feet tall. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are going to, uh, you know, we're kidding right now, and, and we like to kid on the podcast, but we... We have a real tough subject that we want to bring to the podcast today. And, you know, we've embraced this podcast from the beginning. We've wanted to tackle tough subjects, and this could very well be one of the toughest ones we encounter, and that's diversity in the fire service. And this isn't like Anchorman, where Ron Burgundy thought diversity was a big wooden ship. And this is a a very sensitive but much needed subject we need to discuss. Well, I think, Mark, it's a subject that we all are talking about and it's on everybody's mind. So it is important that we tackle it on the podcast and we have honest, frank discussion about what's going on. And it's important because the fire service is changing every day and what people envision a firefighter looks like in their heads, not necessarily the firefighter that's going to be coming their way. And these discussions are going to go a long way towards strengthening the fire service in the future. And we have a special guest with us. We actually have two special guests with us today. Uh, I introduce first our special guest host. He is the IFF's assistant to the general president for education and human relations. And that is uh, Jim Ridley. How are you today, Jim? I'm fine. Thank you for having me be a part of the podcast. I'm very excited about it today, Martin. And this is Jim's first podcast. So uh, congratulations, Jim. Thank you. And then our special guest today, comes all the way to us today from New Mexico, and uh, that is Robert Sanchez. He's president of the New Mexico Professional Firefighters Association. How are you today, Robert? Thank you. It's a privilege and honor to be on this podcast. It's a good conversation, and uh, especially in today's society, when what's going on across the United States, uh, it's definitely a good subject to talk about. So, Robert, tell us, what drew you to the fire service? I got to be honest, like, you know, I wasn't just one of those kids. I just want to be a firefighter every time I grew up. But I had a, a friend and an uncle who actually was a firefighter and kind of convinced me to be in the fire department. And I got to be honest, I mean, I, I tried for the fire department for like three years before I even got on. And I don't think that's unusual for, you know, firefighters across the nation. I mean, it's hard to get on fire departments, you know, so I'm fortunate and lucky to, 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 uh, to be on, on the fire department. But just coming from a, a union family, my dad was an IBW electrical worker for a long time. And so I was hardcore union coming into to the fire service. And, and I bleed the IFF. I mean, the IFF has done so much for me. Honestly, I can't repay them for everything they've done. So you're currently the state president for the New Mexico Professional Firefighters Association. What are the hot topics in New Mexico that you're advocating on right now? You know, Harold in, in the IFF for New Mexico has been great for our legislature. Tons of money is coming from the IFF, and it's benefited us uh, so much. So we have our presumptive cancer causation bills that we're working on. PTSD, uh, we just passed. Our Firefighter Bill of Rights, um, we just passed. Now we're working on FLSA laws that benefit firefighters in New Mexico. Robert, you, you guys are doing a lot of work, all the legislative stuff you're doing. but And I, I know we were going to talk about it, so let's just talk about it. You also have a podcast. Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Thanks for bringing that up. I have my own podcast called Firefighter Kingdom. The reason I'm doing it, because I just want uh, firefighters to have a voice and I wanted to get out there. I mean, 
we've been pretty successful. And to be honest, I'm a rookie at it, but you know, I'm I'm learning, and I think it's it's becoming better. So we've had some good guests across the United States. We had President Dennis Lawson from uh, Washington, and we just talked to an LA firefighter, Adam, uh, yesterday. And probably next week, we're going to have Charlie uh, Spain from Hawaii basically talking about some of the volcano rescues that they've done, which is weird. Like, you know, not all of us <laughs> do volcano rescues, but I'm interested to see what he has to say. That'll be a, an interesting perspective to get because I think you say not all of us. I don't think there's any of us other than our Hawaii firefighters that have any experience with volcanoes and that sort of thing. So that'll definitely be something worth listening to. So, Robert, you started your podcast, Firefighter Kingdom, because you wanted to have a voice. And then you went and we had the period of unrest and you started watching all of that. And, you know, you really wanted an opportunity to have your voice heard and, and get your thoughts out there. And that's when you reached out to Jim Ridley at IFF headquarters. Tell us you know, what prompted that. What what were some of the things in the fire service that you've experienced that led you to want to take a stand like this? I'm fortunate to, you know, have good parents that actually wanted me to have a good education. And my parents worked several jobs to send me to school to speak good English and be a good uh, example to society. But I mean, respectfully, I mean, it's hard. Like when you're discriminated against, nobody knows what it feels like until it happens to you. It's like stepping into the ring and you already lost the fight. I don't think Hispanics should get special treatment with employers or anything like that. But I think what needs to happen is do what's right, you know, and just uh, treat Hispanics fairly. And sometimes it's no fault of anybody else unless, you know, they're, you know, they're prejudiced or whatever. But sometimes, I mean, if you ask a normal uh, person in the community, what would a firefighter look like to you? And they would probably say a white male just because, you know, 83% of the firefighters are white males in the United States. I mean, it's no fault to anyone else, but it's a concern. And again, I mean, unless it happens to you or, you know, you don't, you don't know what it's like to, to have that discrimination. Thank you, Robert. On that note, I want to turn it over to Jim Ridley. Jim serves as the assistant to the general president for education and human relations. How are you, Jim? I'm fine, Mark. How are you? Doing well. So, the IFF has been on the forefront of a lot of efforts in human relations. What are some of the things that the IFF is doing and what are you seeing out there in the field? I'll start with your last question first. We're seeing a lot. We're seeing a marked increase technical assistance requests coming in from our affiliates through our DVPs with the approval of the general president. What the technical assistance is, is when we have a elected human relations committee of 18 members, nine categories, and it's a very diverse committee. They just held their election uh, this past January at the Alts HR conference. And our technical assistance program is when we will go in and we actually will build uh, a program to deliver to those affiliates and to their members to help them develop their own human relations committees. We work with the leadership of those locals and in some instances, we'll do department-wide training, which also includes um, folks from the fire administration, and in some instances, some of their personnel from their human resource departments. So it's a very good program. It's a very focused program that we deliver. And one of the modules that I want to speak about today on this podcast is our building an inclusive workforce, uh, reflecting the communities we serve. 
which is hand in hand in uh, what Robert Sanchez actually wants to talk about is how do we build a workforce that reflects the hue of the community? And we know it's something that doesn't happen overnight. It takes strong leaders. We see that. It's evident. We see Frank Lima out there in the tent uh, bringing in uh, diverse leaders, at, either as DFSRs, uh, working with his locals to uh, stretch and expand that inclusiveness that comes along with those uh, folks out there in the community. How does one start a program back at home? And more importantly, if there is resistance, how does one go about maneuvering through all of that? Another great question. We all know that there is a culture within the fire service. And we know that throughout the IFF, we have about 82, 83% of our members are white male. And because of that, you almost have generational hires within the fire service. And those folks that are being hired, they typically don't look like Robert. They don't look like myself. And they don't look like the people in the community in some instances. So what we have to do, it starts from the top. It starts with those leaders who recognize and understand that there is some lack of diversity within the fire service. A lot of locals, a lot of our affiliates, they're not involved in the hiring process. That's left up to the administration. And what you don't want to do as a city is continue hiring patterns where you don't look to diversify your fire department. And that's when you begin to have lawsuits and in some instances, consent decrees that are issued by the Department of Justice. So if we have uh, strong leaders that can work with the administration and start to develop pipelines on hiring. You can start as early as middle school, beginning with Explorer programs, all the way into your Votex in the, your high school programs, where you have uh, students who go through a fire science program while they're in high school and build those future taxpayers, as I like to refer to them as, to come into the fire service and build that diversity tool that you will need to diversify your fire departments. You're going to get pushback in some instances. That's counterculture. I mean, that's something that they'll say, well, why do we have to do this? Uh, oftentimes, I remind people that we didn't use the phrase lowering the standards until fire departments were made to hire folks that didn't look like the people that were already on the job. So the standards aren't being compromised. It's that there are a lot of minorities out there who have the skill sets, who have the KSA, the knowledge, the skills and ability to be firefighters. They don't know which route to take to do that. So we have to widen that lane and explain to them, this is the path you need to get on if you want to be a firefighter, if you want to have a rewarding career as a firefighter. Jim, are we seeing that the fire service is becoming more diverse? Have we hit a plateau? I know there's challenges still, and I don't think anybody's going to deny it, but are we getting better at being more inclusive as firefighters? I think the effort is there. Uh, under the leadership of General President Schaeberger, who is fully invested in everything that the IFF does, and he's also invested in this elected human relations committee. For those of you who aren't aware, there was an adjoined statement that went out by the General President and the elected human relations committee on June 19th, which was Juneteenth, and it addressed the murder of George Floyd. You know, there's probably a time where you can look back at this organization and that may not have happened, but everything starts with a leader. 
And we have a leader, you know, there in 1750 who says these things are important. And because they're important to him, then that's how we're able to have effective programs like we have. So are we seeing an uptick? Not necessarily, but we we can't stop trying because uh, we're not seeing it. There are impediments. Uh, there are hiring impediments that are in the way. There are certain municipalities that hire, that will only have hire firefighters that come with certain educational backgrounds, which in many instances are impediments. So we have to remove those barriers and put everybody on equal footing. And I believe once we begin to do that and tear down these restrictive walls, you're going to see diversity within the fire service, more diversity within the fire service. You mentioned when the GP's invested, he's all in. And part of that is the elected human relations committee that's been going strong for quite a while now and is doing some good work. Uh, What do they have in store in the future? I can just go back to the last two conventions we had in 2016. We expanded the committee through resolution and the delegates voted to um, increase the committee from 12 members to 16 members. We added two additional categories. We had added the LGBTQ and we added disabled handicap. And at convention in 2018, we added uh, veterans. So we expanded the committee because we know that those are our members out there. And the elected human relations committee is working on facilities, for example, we are um, looking at how we can help address the questions from our affiliates out there is what do we do about facilities? How do we uh, make sure that our female firefighters, uh, when they come back from after delivering their child, that they have a place where they can go and express milk for their child without going into a broom closet or a bathroom? Uh, We want to make sure that all of our members are safe. So these are things that we're building to make sure that our leaders are educated. And that's the key right there, Mark, is education. If we can get our leaders to understand that the message has to come from the top. Sometimes you can get some bottom-up movement, but if you have leaders that are resistant to that or don't understand the importance and the value of that, that's when you're going to have real challenges. And the Elected Human Relations Committee is there just to do just that, to address those challenges that many of our leaders have. And they turn to us for answers. And I believe that we actually have a diversity summit coming up, a 10th District Diversity Summit. You know, working with Frank Lima, who's got a lot of foresight here, he wants to bring together uh, over the course of two days, and we're actually working on something like this. He wants to bring in his minority leadership throughout the 10th District and talk to them about the challenges they may have and what they can do to expand involvement and increase involvement from some of their minority members throughout their own locals, putting them on the pathway toward leadership and addressing the challenges and impediments that might be there. And once you do something like that and you get an inside look on how the local works, the goal here is to invest in them so that you elevate their interests. And now they want to assume positions of leadership. On the second day, we also want to have a broader conversation on recruitment, hiring, and retention. It's just not enough to go out and recruit. And you have to know where to look to recruit. And it's just not enough to hire. You have to have that retention component in there as well, because you don't want to invest 
and recruiting someone and then hiring them. And then they come on the job and say, well, this is not what I thought it would be. So it's really important that we build these tools and then equip our leaders to go out there and engage. Now we have President Sanchez who wants to do more. We have Jim Ridley who has the resources. How does a president like President Sanchez get in touch with you to develop a plan? How do they implement the resources that are available? You know, there's two ways. If President Sanchez wants to work with his district vice president and go through the GP to build a program delivery, that's kind of the steps that we do. But President Sanchez can pick up the phone and call me anytime he wants to. There's no specific chain of command that he has to follow. If he wants to call Jim Ridley and say, hey, Jim, I'm thinking of something. And then I can say, okay, this is the avenue you need to go to get that addressed, or we can just talk about it and flesh it out. And then he can say, okay, this is exactly what I was thinking. Thanks. And, and we can move on and he can move on. But I sympathize, you know, it's with some of our, our members out there when they go into a place and they look around and there's no one else in that place that looks like them. I understand that. I came from that environment. So if I get a call from someone and they say, how did you deal with that? I can share my own personal and professional stories with them on how to deal with situations like that. So, you know, there are a couple of routes that President Sanchez can take. And the most direct route is pick up the phone and call me. And uh, there's no problem with that at all. Coming back to Robert, what do you envision the next couple of years looking like in New Mexico and what's your efforts to, to really amplify your voice and get out there on this issue? So Mr. Ridley was totally on point. It, it starts with leadership. It really does. And, you know, talking to Mr. Ridley, I mean, he's always had a, an open conversation with, with me and, and willing to talk to me. And, you know, under the leadership of, you know, Frank Lieber, even uh, uh, General President Schaeberger, um, that, that's what it starts with is recognizing the issues that are happening in the fire service. And sometimes, you know, I got to be honest, people probably just don't even recognize that there's an issue or, you know, what's going on. I think we're in a point in time now and in our society where we need to start recognizing, you know, what's going on and helping minorities and having diversity in the fire service. And it starts with the community. It starts with recruiting people in the community. I don't think Hispanics need special treatment. I really don't. So in my case, I was, you know, fortunate enough to have parents who who cared and my parents worked like three jobs just to make sure that I knew proper English and, you know, I was gonna be good in, in society and, and make something of myself. You know, but not all people of color or Hispanics have that, you know, fortunate opportunity to have parents like that. So, again, it starts with leadership. We need to make sure that we're uh, recruiting people from our community that are going to assist us in diversity issues. And it even goes with women in the fire service. Being Hispanic or a female, it, it shouldn't be an obstacle to get a job in the fire service. You know, it really shouldn't. We shouldn't have like special privileges. That's my belief. You know, they shouldn't have an obstacle just because you're a woman or you're Hispanic or you're African-American. It shouldn't be an obstacle to get in the fire service. I mean, do what's right. Do what's fair. That's all you have to do. You know, so that's what, you know, I'm kind of preaching here in New Mexico to make sure that everybody in the community is, they're diverse and 
they're hiring Hispanics and they're hiring African-Americans and women. And it's a new world right now, you know, especially with the George Floyd thing. We have to remember that. But one thing I'll tell you is, is that we're lucky as firefighters because we're well-respected within the community. And I feel sorry, frankly, for law enforcement right now, just because, you know, one, you know, rotten apple, doesn't it shouldn't ruin the bunch, right? They're, they're having a hard time. I mean, when I go to fire calls, I'm on the fire truck still, and I see how law enforcement is basically taking it in the shorts, to be honest with you. And we're so lucky as firefighters that we're well-respected. Respect just comes with the uniform. We need to know that. And we need to, uh, you know, treat the community good. So we're well respected, you know, every time we run a call. So let me ask this of both Jim and Robert. As a part of the 82% white guy fire service, what can I do? What can our members out there do to be more inclusive, to celebrate the diversity and accept that and work to make the fire service more welcoming for people of color and minorities? It starts with education, right? It starts with leadership. It starts with people in the community, letting people know. Like I said, you know, sometimes white males or females or Caucasian people, they don't even realize what's going on. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. So I think it starts with education. Again, I mean, Jim uh, Ridley is, is, is a great leader. So is Frankie Lima. Frankie Lima is an example in the 10th district I mean, he has Floyd Rollins in uh, San Francisco. James really accepted a pep instructor, Adrian. She's African-American, you know, and I'm Hispanic. We have Chris Ford on there. So, I mean, it's a start. But I think it's all about education. It all has to be with the leadership, with mayors and county commissioners, whatever municipality or, or whatever you're employed with. They definitely need to educate the cadets when, when they start the academy and let them know about diversity in the fire service. What do you think, Jim? I agree with you, and, and you, you were spot on when you mentioned leadership. And I do want to take a little bit back and uh, kind of answer Doug's question a little bit as well. You know, you said, well, what can you do? And I think it starts with treating people like you want to be treated. And we understand that there's a lot of uh, deep-rooted cultural behavior in the fire service. And we're seeing a newer breed of firefighters come on the job that aren't necessarily engaging in that type of uh, behavior. And that's a good thing. And then you talk about leadership and it kind of ties into, you know, what you ask as well, Doug, when you have leaders within our organization that are concerned with making sure everyone is treated fairly. They're concerned with making sure that they don't burn the house down to make a point or they're self-grandizing. They just want to self-gratify whatever their agenda is. We have a strong leader uh, with our general president, and we have strong leaders you know, throughout this IFF who understand the value of making sure that we work together to solve problems, that we don't take an issue and try to rub each other's face in it, that we look for solutions. And that's how you, Doug, asking that question, what can I do? I think you look for solutions. You don't look to tear the house apart. You know, you look to be a uniter. 
And that's what we need. That's what is important. I know one of the things that just in my limited experience I've seen be successful is a local having their own human relations committee. And uh, Jim, if you want to kind of talk about how a local can go at and set up their own human relations committee so that, you know, people of the majority can reach out and hear those experiences. And it also gives people in the minority the ability to have their voices heard. You know, we have what we call is getting started, you know, how to start and creating your own human relations committee. So we encourage local presidents that if you don't have a human relations committee, that we can assist you with putting a human relations committee together. And it's a committee that uh, should be appointed by the president. And the president should appoint a committee of five to seven people that are diverse. And what you have when you have diversity sitting around the table is you have diverse thoughts, you have diverse ideas. And diversity isn't always about gender or always about color. Uh, We have people that look exactly alike, but they have diverse thoughts. And it's important for our local leaders to understand that these people are out there and you create this committee. This committee can assist with grievances. They can help with recruitment. They can help deal with issues that occur in the engine house. You know, when you have people that are insensitive and just don't get it, you know, that do things from uh, posting Uh, lewd and crude photos to even hanging nooses in lockers. So you can have a a committee that can thwart some of that behavior. And that's what leadership is all about. It's looking around the corner and seeing what's coming versus waiting for it to get there and saying, now what do I do? So you have to be proactive in many instances. So the IFF Elected Human Relations Committee can assist any local that wants to stand up their own human relations committee within their local. So Jim, we provide a lot of resources for this. What's your contact information for people to reach out to you to get more information on this? My email is jridley, J-R-I-D-L-E-Y at IFF.org. And uh, my cell phone is 202-570-3395. I want to thank the two of you for coming on today. I want to wrap up with some final thoughts on diversity in the fire service and services that are offered and come back to Robert one final time. Any final thoughts on this, where you'd like to see things go, how things are going now, and where we're heading down the road? Well, Mark, when you called me and, and asked me to be on your podcast, I was extremely honored. I'll be honest with you. James Ridley, he was totally open to me talking to him. But, I mean, unless you're discriminated against, you, you don't know what it feels like. I mean, I ain't gonna lie, it's a fucking shitty-ass feeling. And I know I've, I've had discrimination against me. Maybe, you know, Mr. Ridley also has. And, you know, it's a tough decision when, you, when, you, when you're talking about, you know, racism and, you know, especially in, in the world of uh, Mr. Floyd. But we got to recognize it and we got to educate people. We got to have leaders like Frank Lima or even... Uh, General President Schaeberger, or, you know, James Ridley, and we got to fix it and make it happen. And it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable to talk about it. And sometimes it sucks. But unless, like I said, unless you're, you're discriminated against, you don't know what it feels like. I understand, Robert. Thank you. And I appreciate you coming on today. This is a difficult subject to talk about, but I think the more it is spoken about, the easier it is to have future discussions on it. So, uh, Jim, any final thoughts? Listening to Brother Sanchez talk, you know, I can uh, feel the pain 
and his voice. And here we are in 2020, we're still talking about uh, the issue of discrimination and um, how minorities are treated, you know, in the fire service. And I always tell people, when you're in the fire station, look out the window. You know, what's happening inside these walls is a microcosm of what's happening out there. And what's happening out there, there's, there is a lot that is going on. And it's important that we, as firefighters, as professional firefighters, that we are held to a higher standard. And it's time that some of our folks out here who don't think that we are or don't want to behave that way, that they take a look at themselves and they do that. You know, life comes at you fast. And if you're not prepared for it, then, you know, you're going to be left behind. And uh, this conversation that we're having, the movement that is taking place, sparked by the murder of George Floyd, we have an opportunity to be on the right side of history with this. And uh, under the leadership of our general president, who understands how to unify people, we will be on the right side of history with this. And you have strong leaders out there, like Frank Lima, like Robert Sanchez, who understand the importance of diversity and will go all out to make sure that their message resonates throughout this IFL. So Robert, obviously the path to get to the show today had some bumps in it. What were some of the things you encountered coming up in the fire service being a Hispanic out there in New Mexico? Like I said before, you don't know what it feels like until you've uh, been discriminated against. And it's a shitty ass feeling, Mark. I'll be honest with you. And when I tried out for the fire service, you know, it, it took me th- like three or four years. We're on a podcast, so I'm willing to talk, but I don't know if I want to blame it on racism, but it's just kind of strange how, you know, I was testing on the on the top five and I just wasn't getting hired anywhere. Like I said, you know, I don't think that, you know, Hispanics or, you know, African-Americans um, should get special treatment. I think they just need to do what's fucking fair. You know, just do do what's right. If you just do what's right, then it, it's, it's all going to come out in the wash in a good way. There was a time I got pulled over by a, a police officer and I had bunker gear in the back and they thought that I ripped it off. And I was there for two hours trying to explain myself that, you know, I'm a firefighter. I didn't rip off the gear. I don't want to sound like, like a crybaby, but, you know, again, if it happens to you, you don't know what it feels like. And it's a shitty-ass feeling. So, I mean, that's my experience. And I'm sure Mr. Ridley's had similar experiences. Yeah, let's move on to Jim. Jim's been at this a while. And Jim, what set you on this path? Mine kind of had a, a very interesting twist. I'm the youngest of nine children. I have a brother, seven sisters. And my brother was uh, is still 18 years older than I am. By the time I came around, I think my father was retired. I know my mother was. I went to the Marine Corps and I got out of the Marine Corps and uh, and uh, my brother asked me if I was interested in becoming a firefighter because he was the first black firefighter hired in the city of Fort Wayne in uh, 1963. And I didn't realize how much trauma he went through. I mean, he was a decent sized guy. He knew how to take care of himself. But when you have to take your bedding home and you have to take your plate and your silverware home because no one will sleep or eat behind you. And it was a real eye opener when he sat down and talked to me about his stories. And 
I uh, got on the job and there was a situation that happened where someone needed union representation and the union president at that time didn't understand state statute. And I understood state statute and I said, well, this might be a place for me. And uh, I helped the president represent this person. And then I became the recording secretary and was elected president after two terms and served in that capacity until the general president asked me to come work for our members in 2009. I was a, a black president in a predominantly white department and served five terms and was also the state vice president. So when I got on that path of being a union person, I felt like this was my calling. It gave me an opportunity to help those folks that needed help. And uh, it's just something that has always motivated me. So my path was a little different and, and, I, and I was targeted when I got on the job for a couple of reasons. One, there was only 11 or 12 other blacks on the job of a force of almost 300. And my brother was the first and there were people that wanted to see if I had the same stones as him. So, um, some learned. Well, thank you. And Jim, we appreciate you being here today. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thank you. I, I appreciate the invite. I want to take this opportunity to thank Robert Sanchez, president of New Mexico Professional Firefighters Association, and uh, Jim Ridley, the assistant to the general president for education and human relations for joining us today on, uh, Doug, what I feel is a, uh, very difficult, but much needed discussion. Well, I think the conversations we had today were frank. They were honest. They were raw. And I think they were real. And I think that's the first step in, you know, Jim said it, creating a more diverse and inclusive fire service is having these conversations. They're not fun. Nobody wants to have them, but they're, they're so important so that we can all move forward and then leave the fire service better than what we came into. And that's what we all want to do. So one more time, just to recap, uh, if anybody is interested in starting your own human relations committee for their local, uh, anybody has any more questions or resources, feel free to reach out to the IFF. Jim Ridley, J Ridley, J-R-I-D-L-E-Y at IFF.org. Uh, also, uh, your district vice president as well to access some resources. Uh, Doug, that just wraps it up for uh, this show. I want to thank everybody for having this conversation with us today. I think it's very important. And uh ask you to make sure the word gets out that uh that this is out here and is a resource for everybody moving forward and thanks everybody for listening and as always be sure to download the podcast uh, like and share it make sure that your friends see it this is an important subject that we all need to talk about thank you everybody for joining us today be safe out there and we'll catch you next time on the next episode of the iff podcast mm-hmm.